Open your Bibles, will please, to Revelation chapter 3, Revelation 3.14. We're in a series on strength for day, hope for tomorrow from the Revelation, and we come this week to the last uh, of the seven letters, letter to the church at Laodicea, chapter 3, verse 14, and this is the Word of God. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I'm rich. I've prospered and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may be clothe yourself. And the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. And salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. As I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He has an ear. Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And then join me. The grass withers, the flowers fade. Glad that that is true, that your word is true, that it's certain. That, Father, we come to that word this morning in an uncertain world. So, Father, we pray for your Spirit's help to grasp what you're saying this morning through your Son, Jesus, to the church. Uh, Father, that uh, as we hear those words, Father, help your Spirit to apply them to our hearts and our minds, Father, our wills and our actions, we pray. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Tomorrow is Memorial Day. It's a day set aside to remember and honor those who have given their lives to, in defense of our country when it was in peril, those who have given their lives for our nation's freedom and the world's as well. People like Don Painter and Benny Hurley's dads who died in World War II, like Matt Phillips, who was part of our youth ministry here for years and gave his life in Afghanistan. Uh, we all owe a debt of gratitude for those who have lived so that we might enjoy freedom uh, that we have. Yet today we grieve for our nation and our world, the shocking war in Ukraine, the incredible pain in Uvalde, Texas. In both cases, you keep hearing the phrase, uh, pure evil which is actually a rather stunning admission uh, on the part of those who typically presume that all people are actually basically good. And they would tell us that our concept of sin is just a, well, it's just a social construct without any basis in reality or absolute truth. Yet now we find them asking heart-wrenching questions that ask why such evil. And the world has no real answer for that. Now as Christians, we do. In our world and life view, because we have God's truth, God's word. Indeed, evil in its origin is irrational, Adam and Eve choosing sin in the Garden of Eden. But now uh, the reason for evil in a, in a fallen world becomes evident. It is prideful rebellion against God. Rebellion against God as creator, as king, and as savior. Uh, mass shootings like Uvalde are rebellion against God as the giver of life. 
The answer to the devastating and heartbreaking uh, mass shootings that plague our nation, the answer to the senseless cruelty that the Russians have brought on in the war in Ukraine, um, is, as we suggested last week, not going to be found in political solutions because the problem's not political. It's a spiritual problem. Uh, we can pass all the laws we want and we can hope that they will restrain evil. We trust they will. But laws do not, they cannot change human hearts, particularly hearts that are bent on evil. The only thing that can change the human heart is the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, we consistently say that our nation's greatest need, our world's greatest need is a revived church, a church that's living out the gospel every day, applying it daily to life, showing the world what real love looks like, and proclaiming that gospel loudly in a world that desperately needs another great awakening. A world and and nation that are in peril cannot afford a church that's in peril. Yet that was sadly the case in Laodicea, a city that needed to hear the gospel. And that's the case today in a nation and a world that need to hear the gospel. The letter to Laodicea is perhaps the best known of the letters to all the churches. And along with that first letter, perhaps the one we we most need uh, to hear. So what does Jesus say to the church then and now? Let's go to the text and see. I'm going to start with the city's delusion. And the angel of the church in Laodicea write. Uh, Laodicea was the most prominent of the tri-cities that included Hierapolis and Colossae there in the Lycus River Valley. Uh, Laodicea was the trade center. It was the transportation center. It was a, a wealthy city. It had a strong economy, strong banking system, strong commerce. They had a flourishing clothing industry. A particular breed of uh, black sheep were raised in that area that gave this glossy black wool that was in very high demand. It was the home of a major medical college uh, that specialized in eye care. They had developed this eye salve that was very helpful for people. Now, unlike the other cities we've seen that where Rome stepped in to help them after an earthquake, when Laodicea was taken down by an earthquake in 60 A.D., They told the central Roman government, no thanks, we don't need your help. Don't hear that much, do you? Um, And uh, instead, they relied on the generosity of their very wealthy citizens to fund construction or reconstruction of the the stadium, the school, the heated and covered walkways they had in the city, uh, the new city gates and towers. And so they were quite the self-reliant city and proud of it. They were rich, well-dressed in black. They were healthy. And they were self-deluded into thinking that the gods were pleased with them. Except for one thing. While Hierapolis, six miles to the north, was known for their hot springs, which were believed to have healing power. Personally, I think of a piping hot cup of coffee on a in the morning to get you going, Um, or Colossae, 10 miles to the east, known for their uh, cool drinking water. Think sweet iced tea on a hot summer afternoon, all right. Um, uh, The water in Laodicea, if it was drawn from the Lycus River, was, was muddy and called nauseous. So the city had to rely on an aqueduct coming down from the mountains uh, to bring water. 
And when that water arrived, it was not cold. It was not hot. It was just a putrid look, lukewarm. It picked up stuff along the way. And people would literally tend to spit it out. What happened is the city's delusion became the church's delusion. Verse 17. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Not realizing that you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Like the city that did not need any aid from Rome, the church thought it did not need anything. No mentions made of having been attacked by Jews in the city. Uh, there's no persecution talked about here. There are no theological errors pinpointed. Uh, no ethical morality charge, charge challenges. Just no opposition. They were wealthy. They were healthy. And they took that as God's affirmation. Taking the church in the United States as a collective whole, perhaps, perhaps this is just where we are. And like the church in Ephesus did not realize they had lost their first love. The church in Laodicea is unaware that they have a problem. But then comes Jesus with his self-description and his truth. The words of the Amen. The faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. Jesus calls himself the Amen, the affirmation, the verily, verily, this is true, this is certain. Apparently meaning he's the one who affirms God's promises. He's looking back to Isaiah 65 at this point. Picking up on chapter 1, he affirms he's the faithful and true witness. He's the one who will tell the truth, the whole truth, the hard truth, because he himself is truth. He also calls himself the beginning of God's creation. Now here you want to think for a moment. Maybe you will remember that when Paul wrote a letter to the nearby church in Colossae, he told the people in, in, in Colossae to, to pass Colossians on to the Laodiceans so that they could read the letter as well. And then vice versa, their letter, that, which we don't have, was sent back to Colossae for them to read. And so maybe remember what Paul told the Colossians, that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, and visible and invisible were the thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. What an incredible claim here. The whole universe holds together because of Jesus. He is the Lord of creation. But then Paul says there's more. He says that he's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And so Jesus is also Lord of the new creation. He's Lord of the church as he rules the universe. He rules the church. And uh, it does seem that's, that's part of the problem here. They've forgotten that. And Jesus' point would be that, that he's the source through which real renewal can come to Colossae. Now, why do they need it? Because Jesus is about to tell them just like it is as a faithful and true witness. 
in his assessment is devastating. I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. Whether you're either cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. So you talk about self-delusion. This is the only church that, that Jesus has nothing good to say about. Uh, and he, what he's saying is, I know your works. And the gospel is not making any difference in your lifestyle. You're not doing anything to advance the gospel. There's no Christian witness. There's no compassion for the lost. Mr. Thomas puts it, there's just spiritual mediocrity. You're certainly not a refreshing cold cup of water. You're not healing water from hot springs. You're just lukewarm. And just like the Laodiceans spit that water out of their mouths, Jesus says, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Except the word is stronger than spit. The word is vomit. It's what he's going to do. He's going to vomit them out of his mouth. So the church mirrored the city in its attitude. They thought they were rich, prosperous, needed nothing. When in fact they were wretched. They were pitiable. They were poor. They were blind and naked. So you saying to them, you think you're rich. Well, from God's perspective, he says, you're poor. You think you're healthy. You got this fancy medical college. You've got your eye salve. Uh, you got your eye care. You can see all of life's issues so clearly, you think. You're blind. You've got that nice Laodicean wool coat and you look so stylish. But you're naked. You're not what you think you are. You're mediocre. You know, those, those words scare me. I don't know if they scare you. Uh, do they make us have pause? I mean, most American churches have nice buildings. We do. Most American churches dress pretty well, whether it's a, a church with suits or one with polos or T-shirts or a nice mixture like we have here. Well, whatever is vogue at a particular church, uh, people think they're dressed appropriately. Our general well-being makes us sense God's blessing. But I think it can happen to us times, perhaps individually. Our passion for the lost, for missions, perhaps sometimes it begins to wane. Uh, our hunger for God's word gets dulled by our appetite for things of this world. We compromise at first just a little, but it grows. We don't have the desire to worship zealously, and so we just go through the motions. And so we have the question, would Jesus vomit us out of his mouth? Are we lukewarm? Are we impacting the lives of other people? Are we making a difference? I suspect there are times of struggle for all of us. See, what happens? As God's people, we should be marked by humility. But what do the Laodiceans think? Not a lot of humility here. I'm rich. I've prospered. And I need nothing. As Phil Newton points out, they, 
they know nothing, it seems, of the church and acts as it cries out for God in prayer. They know nothing of what the tax collector meant when he said, Oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. They're forgetting how Paul talked about his inward struggle of sin and said, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? They're not at all like Bartimaeus who cried, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. They don't even understand the Lord's prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. I'm rich. I've prospered. And I need nothing. And Jesus says, you're poor, you're blind, and you're naked. So Jesus has advice for us. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich in white garments. You may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. And salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. You go back to chapter 1 and Jesus is wearing a golden sash and he's got long white hair and he has eyes like a flame of fire. So he tells him, buy these three things from me. Jesus is the merchant with something valuable to sell. Get, get the gold that makes you truly rich. I mean, what's that about? I mean, if you give him money for gold, you got the same amount, I think, right? Well, you don't if you buy gold from Jesus because gold he's talking about. We go back to the prophets, back to Zechariah, back to Malachi. We look at First Peter. He's talking about being refined by fire that brings about holiness that God wants to give his people. The church that needs nothing must come to Jesus for clothes because their clothes are all about their self-righteousness and they need to be clothed in the righteousness of Christ with the clothes He provides. And they could not see that they were spiritually blind. They could not see Jesus in their blindness. So they need the eyesight that enables them to see Jesus Himself. And of course, it all points to Jesus. And when you come to Christ, our money is no good. All right? Our ISAV is no good. Our clothes are no good. Because we buy from Jesus what's truly valuable without money, by faith. Isaiah said, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he has, who has no money, Come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, without price. We do not need worldly wealth to buy the things of eternity. They are given to those who come by faith. So why does Jesus say all this to them? Verse 19, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. So the stunning rebuke is totally motivated by love. Despite how they're living, despite how they're serving as a church, Jesus loves them. He loves them. If Jesus did not love them, he would let them continue on a self-destructive path. Uh, Certainly they're stunned. But he gives the direction back, they can repent. Uh, They can confess their sin. 
They can have a change of heart. They can truly seek after Jesus and seek to serve Jesus. Like Ephesus, they can pursue their first love. But it cannot just be with words. They cannot just go through the motions. They must zealously repent. They must clearly see their sin and turn from it wholeheartedly. Friends, repentance is the missing element in the 21st century because we've lost a sense of sin. We have psychologized sin. We've made it sociological deviance. We've pretended it doesn't exist. We've ignored it. But we've not repented of it. Without a repentance, without a change of heart about our sin, without a passion to flee from our sin, without a, without a quest to be with Jesus, friends, we're going to live in Laodicea. And our fervor for evangelism and missions will lag, and our worship will be inconsistent, and it will be insincere. See, when, we're, when, we're, when there's no repentance even daily turning from our sin, we're missing out on something. And apparently they're not even aware of it in their spiritual drifting. And they're not taking church seriously. What they're missing out on is that Jesus wants fellowship with us. Uh, do we miss it? Verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him. And he with me. Now, this is a stunning verse, really. Uh, and especially if you're older, you, you've seen the picture. And I used to hang in a lot of houses. You know, there's Jesus resplendent in his robe and his long hair, and he's standing at the door and he's, he's knocking, right? And then you look at the door, and, and there's, there's no door handle on the door. You know, you notice that. Uh, and uh, uh, the point is that Jesus is completely dependent on someone to open the door from the inside. Now, it is what, maybe one of the Bible's best known and most misunderstood verses. Because some misunderstand it to be about salvation. And it's not, not in this context here. That's not the picture. So we need to see the starkness. Jesus is on one side of the door, and the church is on the other side of the door. See, they had a church, uh, but Christ is not in their midst. They had their programs, they had their plans, they had their goals, they had their values, they had their mission statement, and they did not have Jesus. Martin Luther calls a church that focuses on itself like this, a church with a theology of glory, that is, glory of self, instead of a theology of the cross, which is about Jesus. George Ladd has words we need to hear. The church that's prospering materially and outwardly can easily fall into self-deception that her outward prosperity is the measure of her spiritual prosperity. There is a church, but without Christ. Songs may be sung about and prayers may be made in His name. Nice little sermons can sprinkle and mention Him uh, amidst a man-centered theology. And all the while, Christ is not present. And so this door imagery is, is directed towards a complacent church that needs to confess their sin and turn from it to repent, to confess their need to depend on Jesus and restore their lost fellowship with Him. 
Most likely, Jesus is drawing on the parable of the wedding feast in Luke 12. We're going to start actually verse 35. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. Be like the men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast, so they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table, and he will come and serve them. So how do we stay ready for the master to come home? We stay busy about the master's business. And the privilege is for those who hear the knock is to open the door. The dinner and view is probably the most famous meal in all of history, the most anticipated meal. It's the wedding feast of the Lamb in chapter 19 of Revelation. So please know Jesus is the one knocking at the door seeking fellowship with us. And if we hear his voice, we open the door. And this is where we say that revive us again. This is the great need of the church today. A new revitalized fellowship and walk with the Lord that transforms the church from a Laodicean, lukewarm, self-satisfied, self-absorbed church into a vibrant church that repents of its sin and pursues holiness, that seeks to trust and obey Jesus, that finds joy in Jesus, that finds delight to share Jesus with the struggling world around us. So what happens when we respond to God's word? We have the promise, verse 21, the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. So the spiritual life, the language there is a battle. And we're called to conquer. And we do, we have fellowship with Jesus. We reign with Jesus on his throne. We share in his rule. So what about us? He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. We live in a world in peril. And Ukraine and Uvalde are stark reminders of the devastating power of sin. The heartbreaking impact of sin. We live in a world where people are trying to live without Jesus. And building the church, we're like Noah building the ark. The world thinks we're crazy. So they just keep walking by, laughing and smirking. But friends, as people gave their lives for our political freedom, Jesus gave his life for a world in peril. And we must proclaim John 3.16 loud and clear. Jesus had a lot to say to the seven churches. As we said, churches that represent all all the churches throughout history. We've seen churches that struggle with losing their first love, with sexual immorality, with false teachers, with persecution, with worldliness, with compromise of lifestyle. But now the most devastating of all, lukewarmness. Such a church is in peril. And indeed, a church in peril is not what this world needs. We must indeed repent of our sin and renew our zeal for Jesus. We must be sure never to equate material prosperity with true spirituality. Yes, material blessing comes from God. But their viewpoint caused them to lose their way as the church. So we need 2020 vision to see how clearly... How much like Laodicea we are, so that we can see clearly to repent, and then see clearly how to follow hard after Jesus, being salt and light. 
And if we will repent, we will conquer. Suggested last week, it's no time to stack M&Ms. It is time to realize somebody's knocking at the door and we need to get up, we need to answer it. And then we can go back out and reach the world. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful to you for this uh, hard reminder of our tendency at times to be lukewarm, to not be zealous in our repentance, zealous in our obedience, zealous in our worship, zealous in our love, zealous in our delight in you. So, Father, show us the sin we need to repent of, Lord. Collectively as a church, individually we pray. And then, Father, assure us that when we confess, you're faithful and just and you forgive us and you restore us. Father, somebody here that doesn't know the joy of knowing Jesus. Uh, Father, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Today, Father, draw them to your love, we would pray. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.